Now, I know you're itching to get to it, but hang here for just a bit longer until I finish dropping some info. The way I can wrap myself up in verse and rhyme should be illegal. Glad it's not, though, because Dunya has made my poetic bliss in a sycamore psalm. The way she penned that perky omen, I can still feel the hum and nostalgia of the woods. And I don't even bump with trees like that. Now with this one, do not rush yourself. Linger with this music and that creak, especially on bridges. You gotta bask in all that liquid glory. Okay then, let's go. A Sycamore Psalm. Invocation. Stars fade like memory the instant before dawn. Low in the east, the sun appears golden as an opening eye. That which can be named must exist. That which is named can be written. That which is written shall be remembered. That which is remembered lives. Awakening Osiris, a new translation of the Egyptian Book of the Dead by Normandy Ellis. Everything is what it is because it got that way. On Growth and Form by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. Mama, keep
Inheritance, a found poem. My tongue, an earth. My grief, a fortune. The grandparents, my ocean, the great-grandparents, desiccated, coiled husks. The tulip poplars drip, the mills pulverize. Everything glows. The children are less hungry. The seeds crush cost plenty. Homebound Sistina. We came back for good when Giddu couldn't hide his illness anymore, packed up that beautiful lilac apartment and returned to our shared childhood home, Mama's and mine, 27 years apart from each other. Mama cried hardest leaving our city friends. I was eager for the return to my beloved grandparents in Creek. My earliest memory is a conversation with the creek. She whispered up my name and a joke about frogs. I cooed jubilantly in return, a baby on my grandfather's back out for our daily walk along this retired railway line. For all the years he carried me, I knew the crunch of gravel to be the sound of trees munching sunlight. Giddu had not been forced to retire yet then. He still spent most of his hours apart from us, cocooned in his Collegeville office, the statistics professor, always theorizing, calculating probabilities, compiling data sets, his brain metamorphosizing for years before we realized. 
He only started coming home at lunchtime to play hide-and-seek with me. The family says my birth returned joy to him, that I restored his disarming laughter. We don't hear it much anymore. When I tell someone that I talk with the creek, plants, rocks, and animals, it does not matter if they believe me anymore. It did not take me long to recognize the creakiness of a humoring smile and nod. Took me even less time to learn to return the gesture and confide only in this, my trusted poetry notebook. Sometimes, the fact that I write on papered pages feels like I am turning my back on my tree friends, that I am transcribing my thoughts onto their corpses but they are as patient as their trunks are tall. Their generous canopies umbrella me, shade me from my woes. When I was very small, they hid the devastation of the mills from me, choosing instead to speak of the great forest network, how it feels for sap to sweeten while roots tangle, what it's like for moss to green your every surface in a velveting embrace, and that leaves turning color just mean change is a part of everything. I wish that wasn't true. Wish it didn't feel like part of me was dissolving with each shift. It was love that moored Giddu here, anchored him to this country and the Keystone State. Plus, the humiliating defeat of Egypt in 1967 made him, like many Egyptians, want to hide and make their way somewhere else. Giddu, here for graduate school studying math on scholarship, first to leave his Delta village, first to desert the creek there that was once a flourishing tributary of the Nile. When we go back to visit, she is choked with so much plastic I can barely see her silted water, can scarcely hear her uttering her lost name. Here instead, ibises ask what color the water is where I'm from, and the sounds of my great aunts weeping joy at their eldest brother's return. In the village, Giddu is so proud of me, smiles so wide while we are cloistered among emerolding fields. I sit in the laps of second cousins. They squeeze me, kiss my cheeks, feed me two sweet sweets, all while translating stories of a grandfather I have not known, his six siblings each taking a turn to reminisce about his exploits. He, their heart, the one their mother taught to dance, the one who was her enforcer, the one who shook and twisted their growing branches. Laughing, they show me marks he made on the rock faces of their bodies, long ago formed scars along their foreheads, calves, and arms. The whole family wants me to know I am a part of them, despite the seeming distance between us. Despite the arid air, the bright aloe in front of my great-grandparents' gravestone speaks in an impossibly lush voice. She insists I catch hold of every drop of moisture here, that this love will quench me when I get back. Lately, Mama has been calling up all of our relatives on both sides to say the likelihood of Giddu making any more visits to them is very, very slim. Impossible is too difficult for her to say. Impossible too difficult for them to hear. 
I avoid the creaking third step of the stairs when she is on the phone. If she hears me, she will make me say hi, push me to sound excited while discussing the weather. She will cue me, mouthing the I miss you's and I love you's she wants me to say, become angry when I roll my eyes, all while trying to hide the tears rolling out of hers. Mama had so many dreams for the two of us, for our life together. None looked like this returning. Everywhere is the prickle of her anxieties, the shadows of her guilt. I know she is relieved whenever I disappear along this path to take shelter of these sky-reaching woods and the banks of my meandering creek. Here is my sanctuary, the home where all of me feels whole and at ease. At the house, every part fractures, disintegrates. Giddu has been sick for so long, I have a really hard time remembering him not forgetting, not speaking without jumbling his words, not suspecting anyone of taking his things anymore. Teta and Mama insist I still have so many memories from before, that I can recall if I just try. They push me to stretch my mind back, back into the bedrock of myself. This just makes me back away tired and hidden. How much more do they want me to cry for a return that cannot come? I am an eggshell boat on the Perkyoman Creek, trying to keep from coming apart.
lit fix, univocalic in I. In this stitch, this biting, jinxing bit with dispirit tilting things, mighty ills splitting kith, rifting high cliffs, with kin I sphinx, sit still, mild, chilly cynic, indistinct, icy hybrid. With writing, I switch, lift, twist, whinny, chirp, trill, icing, light, plying this wilding spring. Writing brings bliss, kills blights, licks thirsts, writes spirits, shrinks misgivings. Dirt Tankas. We know more about the movement of celestial bodies than about the soil underfoot. Leonardo. Incomplete until inhabited, infertile before occupied, a wedding of mineral and organic worlds, life's blood. Da Vinci insists, Earth's rich skin more mystery than heaven's expanse, the alchemy that grows and dusts us. Shockingly unknown.
place where cranberries grew. Syllabic experiment in fives. Every November, just weeks after the oak, sassafras, birch, maple, hickory, sycamore, and ash have filled their stores, flamed and dropped their leaves, Tata pours over cooking magazines fills them with post-its, plans one carefully measured, glossy page, pre-tested meal, opted for over the culinary spontaneity of most of our days. She speaks fervently of pilafs and sides, considers currants combined with parsnips, while Mama and I wait and wonder when the shopping list will finally finish so we can rush, rush to Henning's before the shelves are empty and pecans all gone. We buy bags and bags of bright cranberries. My annual task? Shatter rubied skin in processor pulse, drag wooden spoon through thickening crimson. The sauce housed in fridge for weeks after our feast's completion. It's portioned out slowly, experimentally, talking to tongues lusting for tartness. For millennia, before this was the Perkiomen, this place, these waters were Pakioma, Pekihomimink, the place where cranberries grow. The creek's blessed soil, perfect mix, moisture, acid, nitrogen. They were craneberries before cranberries. Bird-faced blossoms with bold-beaked anthers beckoning the bees. Voluptuous pollen too heavy for breezes. Blooms pinking deeper when unfertilized. When William Penn reached stepped on your rich banks, made claims of purchase from your beloved Lenape people, did your waters cloud with confusion? Perkyoman, is that how your waters became so brown I think you the earth, miss marking you, miss how you follow me along this path's wind, miss how you mark me? Sometimes I mistake you for trees' trunks. I forget friends start looking like each other when they talk all the time. The American cranberry, Vicinium macrocarpon, is a drawer of poison, a neutralizer of free radicals, a flavonoid-filled curer of scurvy. She is also a survivor of fire. She knows how to fold into herself, how to expand from rich roots when all else is lost.
What I want to say when people ask me what my name, Nehet, means. Mama gave me a name I could live in, made me a hollowing home of leafhoppers, lace bugs, widow birds, rare bats. Their edged songs crest through my marrow with such vitality no fence can hold me. Make my cinnamon soil so rich, my growth so rapid, my skin models in the shutter and shed. When you name your child after a tree, is it actually a binding spell? Mama gave me a name I could live in, a two-syllabled incantation that tributaries vast, wrapping roots each time it is breathed out, anchoring me to these hills and their sloping sides. Transplantation, an ever-increasing impossibility. Look up. My branches lance the air, carve paths into its roadlessness. My fingertips, ostromancers, readers of winds, diviners of cloud shapes. Mama gave me a name. I can ride out storms because of it. Know to become less resistant by obscuring my canopy. How to redirect onslaughts by folding my leaves. In the borderlands between this world and the afterlife, is a boundless sycamore tree. Hathor, the goddess of love, births her sun-child Ra there each dawn, then awaits his daily dusked return. Our ancestors performed countless Nile ablutions to live forever in that tree, their hopeful coffins a supplication cleaved from sycamore heartwood. Mama gave me a name I can never outlive. Tetas Tree, an ABC Darien. As a child, Teta begs her parents for stories of the family, confident she'll discover treasures in the telling. Expects state secrets, heroic deeds, tragic love. Finds instead migration and the mundane. One great-grandfather arrives here terribly alone, recruited from famine-shook Ireland, joins hundreds of other Irish and Italian teenagers to hack through trees and jagged Pennsylvania rock. Sweating through every season, he grows up while laying down the Perkiomen railway line. Keeps himself in Pennsylvania, despite homesickness and prejudice, convinced a break is on the way. Lands a second train job, this time as Collegeville Station's flagman. The iron horses passing by so closely never cease to thrill him. One great-grandmother, with an industrious penchant for sewing, is crowned Schwenksville's Queen of the Needle at Ron's store and the Brahmer family's industrial hall, where women stitch 8,000 garments per week. 
In 1907, she starts kitchen work at Governor Pennypacker's place. There is the great, great granduncle lost to the dash powder mill explosion on the nearby Unami Creek. Each November, various rumors of his restless ghosts swirl as the cranberry sauce is passed around the Thanksgiving table. One uncle works as a shine boy each icy winter until he hates it, joins the staff of the Springmount Hotel, catering to expectant guests from Philadelphia who fill up train coaches weekly. The young and old pour out all along the line, in Oaks, Green Lane, Zieglersville, every place in between. They come for rest and recreation, to fish and play. Accept the story as incomplete before contemplating driving expert fingers into its gasping holes. Consider these gaps islands in our creek instead, oases for the journey. Be patient in this gathering, this new knowing. How lucky to know anything, to roll names of those gone on one's tongue. How many in this country know next to nothing of their lineage because of violent theft, only that their people were snatched away from every form of home, yoked with quenching America's rapacious greed. Sit with that terrible fact, unholy and volcanic. Well wishes can never repair such yawning loss, no matter their zeal. Body still and tumult, a mirror and window. She doubles worlds, flips everything, places heights at feet, roots in sky. Sky roots feet. At heights, place is everything. Flip worlds, double. She window and a mirrored tumult, and still a body.
about the 19.7 plus million acres of old growth forest cut down in Pennsylvania, a Fibonacci sequence. From the fungi, the mycelium network, we ache for that once rich linked electricity, million mile network pulsing through each inch of soil, a covenant wrecked by bipeds. from the northern white-tailed deer. Green-gloved branches canopied so dense, we hardly entered that darkness. The felling brought light, forest floor food, and the hunters. From the shale and argolites, they cleared so much for charcoal, three million acres ashed for iron forges. Limestone crushed by the ton to decompose in the furnace fires. From the red-bellied woodpeckers. Guile saves no one. We won't lie. Eating got better. Trunks once impenetrable weaken easily. Open to our firm insistence. from the Perkyoman Creek, who had 20 mills along her waters. Trees close to my banks always fell first. Victims picked for proximity. Their corpses corralled by splash dams, stamped and sold, I could only flood. From Teta, yes, too many were cut, love, and my great-grandpa brought home food for the family, saw-dusted hair framing ears gone weak from the mill's buzz. From the Congregation of Trees, we have lost all our elders. Bereft their guidance, we shake, orphans fearing the axe. From Giddu's brother, my great-uncle Talat. When he asked that Mama send a doctor's letter for the emergency visa, he says, the great tree of our family is falling.
frontotemporal dementia nonet, a diagnosis. Doctor prescribes speech therapy to slow progress. We flood the house with labeled photos of nouns, rock, moss, path. He rereads names hours each day. Words still disappear. Creek bed dries. Clamshells split. Ode to Primary Progressive Aphasia 
a study in deforestation. Praise her jaw inlaid with 28 diamond incisors, hard sparkle sharp even in post-meridian summer glow. Praise her quicksand breath, tar and quagmire, whelming every thought's extension. Praise her six spiked tongues nested one atop the other, their flicks perforating Giddu's every word. Praise her twenty-two-fingered grip, obstinately wielding the tungsten baton, conducting paranoid rhapsodies, devouring holy harmonics. Praise the viscid plaque sweat of her interminable pores, thick smog dimming synapses, stories, civilizations. And I have yet to be cracked open by the trail. The descent too fast for pockets to unlock your hands, too slow to stem my regret for thinking an afternoon stroll along the creek's edge would still your mind. That the singing sound and sight of water streaming around stone islands would lead you towards an hour's slumber while we wait for Teta's return. It is the slow-growing revolt of determined roots pushing against asphalt's compaction that boosts you into the air for a moment of avian freedom. You a green heron in brown water, rising for a glorious flash before your head dives towards earth, 
wet redness bright and seeping towards your cataract eye. You, all vowels and veined arms outstretched, searching for me. You, honeysuckled vine, desperate to wrap round my limbs. Your sunlit aspirations choke me with despair. Now, whether we turn past Foy's Park on the road to Schwanksville, or shuffle towards Collegeville, where there is an office you are letting yourself forget, I am gripping your hand in the vice of my elbow's crease. We speak in parallels, you free of language's corset, me frantic, knitting spells with my frayed tongue, warding off both our future falls.
sketch of Mama on the cusp of her fourth decade. Numerology after Giddu's second fall. At 1.40 a.m., after her mother has returned to the family home to care for the two fast-growing adolescent and two raucous dogs, after the visiting cousin has kissed her cheeks goodbye for the last time before his return to work in the Persian Gulf, she passes the slate-colored elevator, chooses instead to ascend the three fluorescented flights to the third floor, wants to feel the weight of climbing in her legs to assure herself she still has a body, wants to lean into something even if it is only the air she is sucking into her lungs. She presses the buzzer for the third time tonight to request access to room 303, listens to the space between her steps while walking the corridor's endless stretch. Scanning the geometry of the place, the infinite vertical lines of doors and equipment, she tries to align her own trunk with them, to straighten the slump of her shoulders, to roll off the heavy boulders upon them. She glances into the other rooms with her peripheral vision, sees the lichen-covered graying of other families' breakings, recognizes the arduousness of their breathing, matches it with her own wheezing, weeping catch, and keeps moving. The path's stubborn insistence is startling. It is her only guardrail from steep, hopeless descent. At 2.32 a.m., when she tells the ICU nurse her father needs his mouth suctioned, that he is choking on his own secretions, she is the one who shines a flashlight into the portal while the vacuum runs. Checking her impulse to gag, she rubs her baba's hairless head with her gloved hand, asks for his patience in her baby Arabic, a legacy of a father who chose assimilation. Her grammar non-existent, her pronunciation more rocks colliding than waters flow. He groans fluent gutturals in response, glottals she will never be able to possess. He finally begins to settle down when she sings him her only child's name 700 times.
Statistical word problems for 400, Alex. The probability patient 0276958 is my grandfather. What is 99 out of 100? The odds Giddu will open his eyes at all over the course of my five-hour hospital visit. What are slim to none? The likelihood that when I close my eyes at the hospital, I see piles of splotched boulders rolling down hills, crashing into tree trunks. What is likely? The chance I will be beyond ready to leave with my uncle just 25 minutes into the visit. What is 83.5%? The probability room 303's smell is a mix of 10-day-old bouquet, steamed carrots, urine, and bleach. What is 2 out of 3? The odds Mama will prod me the entire five-hour visit to hold Giddu's hand and talk to him. What is 75 to 1? The likelihood that when I hold onto his arm, not hand, for just a few minutes and say his name just two times quietly, she will lambast me in front of everyone. What is highly likely? The chance that Mama will not hear me say his name at all. What is 79%? The probability she will remind me again that when his blood pressure dropped and we thought we were going to lose him, the only thing that got Giddu through the sepsis was Mama singing my name over and over to him. What is 7 out of 8? The odds I will mention that it was the emergency central line put into his jugular vein and accompanying pressure medications that followed that actually stabilized his blood pressure. What is two to one? The likelihood mama will stay overnight again in the hospital. What is very likely? The chance that she will attempt to pull me onto her lap and lean her cheek on my back while apologizing. What is 91%? The probability her breath will smell somewhere between steamed carrots, desiccated moss, pond water, and stale forest air. What is 11 out of 15? The odds that I do not know the right way to touch Giddu when he is hooked up to so many machines, when he has so many tubes coming out of his body. What is 200 to 1? Jewel Beetle's Speech 
encouragement in the key of E, another univocalic. Nehet, remember, stress cycles. Let the chest be less clenched, the pen less bent, the stench less fed, strengths less wrecked. Stretch. Feel breezes, smell fresh scents, express gently. End secrets. Cipher, bend energy's tendency. Rest, sweet bee, rest. Grandma's altar, a meditation in A. Grandma clasps hands, prays hard, sways and walks all day. Paths sprawl, a hymnal. Craggy land calms, thwarts sad blasts, placates dark rants, halts sharp slaps, a hawk's call, a warm cantata. Recantation, a palinode. One. Chilled in shadow shade, I long for light. Stifled by family's thick, sorrowing air, I make myself a starling, 
Sail above the bone-erupting earth, drift over meadows span, I shift with wind and whim a spontaneous murmurator, freed from peg-tube feeding schedule and bed-sore prevention protocols. Two. Only father I've ever known is you. Embarrassment has rushed over me when by your side, at the barber shop, in the restaurant, at the recital, along the trail's path. Your body and confusion strong, my humiliation stronger. Finding pills in plant pots made me scared for our dogs. Watching Mama's smile disappear into the tall grass of caregiving iced me some. I wished for relief, for change, for an end, but I did not mean to cast you out, Gidu. Did not mean to cast you out, Gidu. Not mean to cast you out, Gidu. Mean to cast you out, Gidu. To cast you out, Gidu. Cast you out, Gidu. You out, Gidu. Out, Gidu. Gidu. Unsolicited advice for Mama on her 40th birthday. When your now taller-than-you-child invites you for a long walk along the old railroad path but stays silent the entire time, recognize their quiet as listening, not moodiness. Turn your ear towards the meadow, woods, water, and world with them, 
The collective cacophony of this wrestling assemblage is a reminder that you are alive. That your hungers, too, are real and needing to be hurt. Do not be discouraged when the gravel's shift and stirring makes you feel unsteady. There is wealth in the adjusting. When your Baba, who has forgotten everyone's name except your mother and your child's, calls you by both of them, realize he has not forgotten you. He just knows how much you need their embrace, need their arms circling around your sobs. Do not underestimate the power of the underbrush, how so much of what we pass quickly by has the power to nourish and heal if we can learn to understand what we are seeing. Rest assured, the lemon juice and chili will bring out the perfect flavors of the baba ganu, even if you think it will be too sour or too hot to bear. Mama, let us help you when we offer. Even when it seems that we do not understand you, even when we do not realize our enthusiasm is interrupting your work, we want to be there for you. Be open to our loving. Let it run over you. When your Baba tells you he likes you now, believe him. Know it isn't his sickness speaking. Know that even though his eyes burn, you are not a mirage. Thank you.
The Perky Omen's elegy for a shine boy's horse, dictated to me by the creek herself. I held him in me for 63 years, until the flood of 36, when I had to let go. Our first winter together was my favorite. My cool body kept his chestnut mane dancing electric, his flesh supple, the fish too suspended in their animation to begin nibbling toward bone. By spring, the gorgeous tissue compromised, decaying. My body, my sweet waters condemned me to this, the skookle too polluted, too overwrought for human consumption. Seven hulking ice houses rose along my banks to make farm of me, harvesting my body to chill cups and cupboards from Montgomery County to Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. My annual freezing rushed the scavengers out, jagged tooth equipment in their lusty hands. Eager to divide and extract me, they measured my thickness, scored my skin into 44-inch blocks with horse-drawn plows. Shine boys always followed behind to collect equine waste in child-sized sleighs, to wipe the shine of urine stains out with formaldehyde. The disinfectant ate the delicate lining of their pinked noses. I burned several of the seven houses down. Do not set the spark myself, but willed the incineration so. My melt so dangerous to ice barons, their workers coat my blocks in sawdust, charcoal, hay, anything to slow the thaw. Combustion is a kind of destiny when transporting ice by steam engine. When my surface broke, the plow pulled the shine boy's horse down too quickly for rescue. His driver had yanked the choke rope, but could not reach the harness in time. Had the beast been unencumbered, the choke rope would have helped save him. Its grip, a cruel assurance that he would not breathe in the waters of his own panic. Instead, his umber eyes were wide and bulging during the rapid descent. He could hardly hear the shine boy's screams. I sang to him, spoke his name, whispered up a joke about frogs into his exquisite triangled ears. From the fungi, deer, rocks, woodpeckers, creeks, trees, spotted owls, and jeweled beetles, were you able to dive towards earth, veined arms, outstretched, veiled vows, searching for winged memories? Woo! The language of life is so carnal in this work. But enough of my swooning. Let your thoughts soar. <laughs> 